You're tuning in to the Wild, Weird, and Sometimes Normal podcast. If you have a story or a guest recommendation that you think others need to hear, email me at wildweirdandsometimesnormal at gmail.com. Let's get this started. Alex and Brett, kick it! On this episode, I have James Reinhardt, who wears many hats in the world of cinema. James has written and directed a short horror film about the Jersey Devil. In addition to his film, we also go down a rabbit hole on Bigfoot and other cryptids, discuss if knowing the magic of movie making takes away from watching the magic of someone else's movie, and throughout the episode, we discuss horror movies. Check out James's movie on the Jersey Devil and leave him feedback that you heard him on Wild and Weird. Are you looking for CBD for your pet? My friends at Pure Pet Wellness have what you need. They use the highest quality ingredients. While other companies may use synthetic oils in their CBD, Pure Pet Wellness uses organic ingredients. Organically grown hemp, organic coconut oil, organic shea butter, organic beeswax, and that's just to name a few. A family-owned and operated company that also offers fast shipping. Go to purepetwellness.com for all your pet's CBD needs and use the discount code WILD and WEIRD at checkout. That's wild, A-N-D, weird. Treat your animal right. Go to purepetwellness.com. Are you looking to buy a home in New Jersey? Escape the city and move to the suburbs? Finally purchase that vacation home on the lake or down the shore? Maybe you're one of the lucky ones who are retiring and moving out of state. If so, let me help you. Keller Williams and the Real Estate Professional Group have what you need to make your goals come true. Reach out and have a conversation with someone who will put you first. Contact Brian McCoach at 856-321-1212 or email brianmccoach at kw.com. Welcome to another episode of Wild, Weird, and Sometimes Normal. I'm your host, Brian. And today our guest is James Reinhardt, independent filmmaker. Welcome, James. Hey, thank you for having me on. Hey, I really appreciate you jumping on. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. I'm a former podcaster myself. I'm a bit retired, though I come out of retirement every now and then for guest spots like this. I appreciate it. What was your podcast about? So it was a film chat podcast. We called it Cinema de More. My co-hosts actually still do it. They're still going strong. I kind of started getting burnt out, so I stepped away. That went from being a brief sabbatical to just, you know, not doing it anymore. Most because of, you know, life and stuff like that. Every month we would have a theme and we'd pick movies in that theme and discuss it. But I went back on this past October to discuss uh, the last Halloween film. That was my official guest appearance and final appearance on that. Sometime after Halloween 85 or whatever it was, I, I really had to stop paying attention. The originals were great. Number three had nothing to do with the the trilogy. It was was the best, or I mean, you know, I guess more than a trilogy, the series uh, mm-hmm. was the best. And Jamie Lee Curtis coming back, Michael Myers coming back for the fiftieth time. I I think it's beyond me. Yeah, it's. I mean, these new ones are a little easier to pick up because they ignore all the sequels. But I really liked the twenty eighteen one, and the reason why I came back for Halloween was on our podcast. Our first episode was the original Halloween from, you know, 78. Uh, so it just became a th- tradition where every year we would do a Halloween movie on Halloween. And then, like I said, I stepped away because of uh, your other commitments. And then 
this one Halloween ends was, you know, quote unquote, supposed to be the last Halloween film. Uh, so my co-hosts were like, well, we got to get you back to discuss the final Halloween film. And I had a lot of thoughts. I won't get into it here, but, you know, go listen to Cinema the Moria if you want to hear, hear me chat about that last Halloween film. My word of caution for you, though, is that if Hollywood has taught me anything, that is never the final one. And there's always more blood on that stone that you can try to draw. Oh, absolutely. And I, I didn't believe for a second when they said this is the final Michael Myers film. And I, you know, I give it five years before they try to reboot it again. But, uh, you know, this it was a polarizing movie for sure. People seem to love it or hate it. And um, all I could say is that I watched it on Peacock. And all I could say is I was glad I didn't see it in theaters. Before we get too much into, you know, the greatest serial killers, the greatest horror movies, why don't you give us some background on yourself as a filmmaker? And then as we go further down the road, we can start branching off. Sounds good. So yeah, I, I grew up here in the Pittsburgh area. Pittsburgh is, uh, we love our horror films here in Pittsburgh. You know, obviously George Romero, Night of the Living Dead, the entire subgenre. I was basically born here. So I grew up like around all that. And I knew, as far back as I can remember, I knew I wanted to be a filmmaker. I knew I wanted to make movies. As I got older, like into high school, uh, screenwriting was really what seemed to interest me the most of the filmmaking process. Then I went to Point Park University here in Pittsburgh for filmmaking. And uh, after graduation, there's a there's a big indie film community here in Pittsburgh. And so after graduation, I sort of got involved in the uh, the indie film community here. And I'd also work crew on um, productions come through town because we're a big production hub in Pittsburgh. It's cheap to film here. So a lot of like TV shows and movies um, they shoot here in Pittsburgh. Oftentimes, Pittsburgh stands in for New York because we're cheaper to we're cheaper than New York. So if you're watching something that takes place in New York, sometimes it's shot in Pittsburgh. Now, or if it is a, a story that does take place in Pittsburgh, it it really emphasizes the uh, the Rust Belt aspects of our city. But yeah, so a lot of stuff shoots here. So it, you know, it's easy to work crew here. So I work crew um, on a lot of indie stuff. Shot my own short horror film last year, hoping to turn that into a feature. And then I uh, I also teach a film class here in Pittsburgh, so I'm pretty pretty active in our our community here. Let's go back over the the indie short that you shot. I saw the clip on Facebook, and it was amazing. It was it was really good. Oh wow, thank you. Yeah, I've um I've always been interested in cryptids, as they're called. You know, like Bigfoot, Chupacabra, Loch Ness monster, and around middle school, I heard the story of the Jersey Devil. I was like watching like. One of those, like, you know, true horror story things on like TV around Halloween. And these kids talk about the Jersey Devil. And it really just like captured my interest from a young age. And I always like wanted to make a movie about the Jersey Devil. And there's been a couple made. And, you know, I'd seen them and they're all pretty terrible. But so I always just wanted to do it right. And I spent years writing, like, trying to write a script around the, the, you know, the legend of, of the Jersey Devil. You know, I couldn't quite crack it. And then I came up with this idea for like a sort of a body horror take on it. So I wrote a couple drafts of that. And I remember it was like, it was 2020, early 2020. My goal for that year was to get this script, you know, in shape that I could start sending it out to people. And I like turned down a bunch of crew work on a bunch of, you know, stuff. I was like, I'm just going to focus on the script. Um, You know, nothing else is going to distract me. And then, you know, the pandemic happened and the lockdown happened. So I was like, well, now I have nothing to distract me. I spent most of lockdown pretty much, working on that script. And I sent it to a buddy of mine in the film community who's a producer uh, just to get his feedback. You know, he was like, oh, I think we can make this. And I hadn't even thought about it. You know, I thought about just like shopping it around trying to sell it. But he was like, I think this is producible. I think we can make this. 
So we started talking you know, seriously about producing it. And then him and I, we made a short film together in 2021 that won, it won Best Film at a local film festival here. And that sort of gave us the momentum and like the confidence to be like, well, let's let's try, you know, this Jersey Devil thing. So we shot a short proof of concept in February of 2022. Props to my cast and crew. Uh, we were filming in the woods in like 17 degree weather. You know, Jess, our main actress, is running around like it was this prop gun being chased by a guy in a monster costume. And then she then she's got to go through makeup. Everyone who worked on it was a trooper. But yeah, so we shot this little proof of concept. It basically gives you, you know, sort of a teaser of what the film can be about. We're going to try to use that to shop around the film and, you know, get funds to make the full length version of it. I think it's great. The The monster itself looks good. The story behind it, I thought was interesting. And, you know, even though it was a spin, I guess, a little bit on the Jersey Devil, it was unique on its own. Oh, thank you. Great job. Kudos. I'm on the doorstep of the Pine Barrens, about maybe a quarter mile, half a mile away from the start of the Pine Barrens. I uh, oh, grew nice. up in the Jersey area for the most part. So the Jersey Devil, you know, big around here and and, and just a fun story to know and, and to go. I love cryptids. Anything weird, I'm mm-hmm. fully in on. Have you ever seen anything interesting in the woods or out there? Um, I I mean, there, I've heard some weird stuff, but I'm I'm super interested in cryptids and all that stuff. But I'm also super skeptical. So uh, I've I've heard some stuff. I have been. I did go to the Pine Barrens uh, once in New Jersey in 2019. My ex and I we we went on a vacation, and she's like, "Let's go to Pine Barrens. You're writing a script about the Jersey Devil." And I'm like, "Yeah, you're right." So I did just kind of hang out around there. Didn't didn't see anything, unfortunately, but um. My dad, he's the one who got me into cryptids and cryptozoology. He's big into Bigfoot to the point where he fell in with some local Bigfoot hunters here in PA and in, and in Ohio. So I went on a few Bigfoot hunts with him as Bigfoot hunting buddies because I knew if anything, there's going to be a story. And we heard like some weird noises, like, you know, sticks uh, scratching. We heard some weird growl of some sort in the distance. We couldn't be sure of what it was. Uh, you know, a lot of them, anything out of the ordinary, they... In the woods, they attribute to Bigfoot. And I'm sort of like, well, you know, I'm not a woods, like I'm a city boy. Like I'm not, you know, like a, like a woodsman or anything like that. So I'm like, I don't know what that could have been anything. You know, I'm not going to jump to conclusions, but yeah, that's about like the strangest I've heard is like, is that this weird roar and like weird, like, you know, something going through the woods and twigs breaking kind of a thing. Do you think Bigfoot exists or do you think it's just more fun to believe that it could exist? Uh, I think it's really fun to believe that it could exist. Uh, if you would have asked me this question maybe 10, 15 years ago, I would have been like, oh, yeah, I absolutely believe he exists. But now, you know, I'm a little bit older. You know, I've I've read a lot of on, on both sides of the argument and, you know, a lot about science and other stuff like that. Uh, you know, I've, I've sort of changed. I'm sort of like, man, I wish it was real, but I, I, I don't think it is. You know, it'd be great if, you know, tomorrow is proven wrong. But, and, you know, every now and then it's, it's fun to kind of believe that, you know, you know, we have this sort of humdrum everyday life. It'd be sort of fun to believe that there are monsters out there. but And I think that's sort of the appeal of cryptids. But, uh, you know, the rational part of me says it's not there. Right. So for the Pine Barrens, uh, even on a map in New Jersey, it it is it's huge. It's, it's vast. But there are major roadways. There are major arteries cutting through the Pine Barrens. It would make it very difficult for you know the Jersey Devil to be real. There have been some Bigfoot sightings in the Pine Barrens. Hey, easily, you can go in the Pine Barrens and get lost. I mean, that, that's not a question. 
but it is also built up around there. So I find a little bit with the pine barrens specifically to, unfortunately, I don't think there's anything too crazy living in there. Now, I did drive up to the Finger Lakes last summer, up through northeastern Pennsylvania, up into New York, and it is just mountains everywhere and dense trees and forest. Now, somewhere like that, Pacific Northwest, I think there's a possibility that there could be, you know, a one-off, a small family of Bigfoots. But to have, you know, and mountains, you know, Afghanistan and uh, out in Nepal and things like that, like you could have possibly a Yeti or something like that. But for there to be in every state and to never truly get caught, you know, sadly, I, I think I'm leaning more on your side. I, I want it to be real. I, I, I want that Loch Ness Monster to swim up on the shore and, you know, just sunbathe for a little bit, but I, I just don't think it's happening. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, it's it's fun and like... I, you know, I've also said to like, if there is something, because I agree with you, like, you know, this is the Pacific Northwest, Nepal, like some of those areas are so remote and so inaccessible, you know, it could be feasible that maybe that there's something there, you know, in the thicker areas where people don't go, you know, like I said, I hung out with my dad and his Bigfoot buddies. And then you, if you just watch any of those shows, like, you know, History Channel, Discovery Channel, there's tons of Bigfoot monster hunting shows. Like those dudes out running around the woods hunting monsters, they're not like scientists, you know, they're not like biologists you know they're just they're doing it in a very you know unscientific way where they're just kind of running around making noises and you're shining lights and you know desert cameras and like you know i do what i do know about the woods is anytime there's loud humans running around the woods you know all the animals are going in the opposite direction but you know but also like you said it's just like a lot of especially you know when i was hanging out to big funny groups this is like you know i call them weekend warriors they're people that like do this on their weekends and they work you know regular jobs but they don't know you know they don't know anything about evolution they don't know anything about biology you know so they're you know i'm not saying that they're they're dumb like some of them are very intelligent people but like you know they're kind of coming out from a place of ignorance so if there was something there they're not you know approaching it in a way that could verify its existence you know one way or another how much of them do you think is the weekend warriors is just cracking beers and, and camping for the weekend uh, a lot of it is that, you know, it's a, it is definitely that like just hanging out with your buddies, you know, people looking for an excuse. Some of them, I'm just like, it's just an excuse to go hiking. Like, you know, you say you're going for victory, you just go and hang out in the woods and like, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But there's this really, there's also this really interesting documentary I watched. I'm trying to remember what it was called. It was on Prime, but it was like, Prime has a lot of like paranormal documentaries. And one I just put on one night, like I was bored and I'm like, oh, it's a Bigfoot documentary. I will, you know, this one is about these group of guys. They're hardcore Bigfoot believers. And, you know, they, to them, like they absolutely believed and to them, like seeing Bigfoot was something like a religious experience to them. But these dudes, like they all sort of fit this, you know, sort of type where they were once like really successful guys and they all, for whatever reason, had fallen on hard times. And they sort of all latched on to Bigfoot believing that was like, that was sort of their distraction from like how shitty their lives had gotten. That was like sort of the thing that they all latched onto to like make them give themselves a sense of purpose was like was Bigfoot. And that to me, this documentary became really fascinating to me is watching these guys who were all sort of down on their luck using Bigfoot hunting almost as like a religion, like a like a thing to keep them going, to give them faith. And I think that is that is the case of a lot of these weekend warrior types is, you know, not all of them for sure, but like guys who just kind of need something to get them you know through the day or give them something to believe in and there's bigfoot and that to me i think there's something really interesting to be looked into about that when it comes to cryptozoology you know bigfoot ufos or like you know ghost hunting ghost hunting's big that kind of falls under that umbrella as well two thoughts here one there's a great podcast called the confessionals with tony merkel and Mm -hmm. he has uh people 
you know, they just report their own experiences and he doesn't grill them too hard or anything. And it's, you know, it's kind of like a, your truth thing. Like if you saw a UFO, you know, he's not going to quiz you and like, you know, where are they coming from and what's their fuel source yeah. and how they get, you know, just like, all right, tell me your story and things like that. And there are some people who go hunting, zero interest in Bigfoot whatsoever, come across something in the woods and it has scared them to death that they never go back in the woods again, according to their stories. So, right. but also, you know, the woods are a bit of a scary place. You know, it can get dark in there quick. You can get off track pretty quick. There's noises throughout there. So, you know, that's something that's interesting. Yeah. Second, um, oh, no, go ahead. I'll, I'll go oh, after you. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, just the, my second point is, I think it's in Australia. The Tasmanian tiger was extinct. Oh, yeah. And now there's videos of them. You know, there's still frames, there's uh, trail cams, and they're catching them. And Australia still refuses to recognize that they're back in existence or, you know, that they ever went extinct or whatever. They're, they're still saying, no, not real. It's just a dog. It's just a coyote, whatever it might be. And I was listening to a podcast somewhere and they were talking, you know, discussing like, why would they do that? Like there, there is this pretty solid evidence, everything but a body of showing this Tasmanian yeah. tiger that the stripes on it and everything. And then, you know, somebody thought their position was that Australia doesn't want to recognize that these things are back because then they've been an endangered animal and everywhere within their habitat would just have to shut down completely. So if you were building new homes, if you were building a road, you know, what, whatever you, you might be, would have to stop immediately because that's now a protected area where this endangered animal lives. Yeah, that's, so, that's you know, interesting. Yeah, I find that interesting on, you know, could that be... You know, granted, like Bigfoot's like 10 feet tall and he's ripping through trees and, and all these things like that. It's kind of hard to hide him. But Pacific Northwest, huge logging area, all these trees they're cutting down. And the second that you say, or you, you show proof or the government scientist, whoever it might be, you know, take the hair samples and go, oh, no, it definitely is an ape. And it's not anything we have within our science books and we have to create something new. That area all of a sudden becomes locked down. And you're no, you're no longer logging. You're losing those jobs. You're you know so that, that's yeah. one way to look at it that I thought was you know at least something interesting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and what I was going to say, you know, you talked about you know interviewing people who had experiences like you know it's like their truth. Once again, if my dad, I went to like a meeting of these the, these Bigfoot hunters, and it was almost like a support group because there were people who weren't affiliated with them who had had experiences, and they came just to share their experience in like a safe you know judgment free zone. And a lot of them were really, they were really, you know, they really came off as credible. They really came off as believable. A lot of them, they never wanted to say, they never wanted to say Bigfoot. You know, they, they're, from their point of view, they had experienced or saw something that they couldn't explain. Those were the ones I always, I find them like very credible. They came off very serious. Like they didn't, they, they seemed nervous, like they were going to be ridiculed, but you know, they had seen something there. There was a couple that had actually seen one. They saw one on the side of the road. And then there was like one guy who was a hunter and he heard one. Um, and he's like, I've been a hunter all my life. You know, I've been in the woods and I've never heard something like, and it was like what you said, where like, it scared him so bad. Like he ran, like, you know, he got, he like had taken his boat out to the secluded area to hunt. He spent the night there. And then he heard it in the night and he ran back to his boat and like got back to his truck and drove home that night. And, you know, he's like, I've never been that I've done it. I've done that all the time where I spend night oh, the night in the woods and I've, He's like, I've never heard something like that before. You know, I've never been that scared before in my life. In the case of the couple, they're just driving by the woods and they saw one. And, you know, it was almost like it didn't register to them. They they drove by, thought, was that what we thought it was? And then they stopped and turned around and drove back. And then they saw it, you know, it was still walking up the hill they'd driven by. 
both of these people came, they, they really like struck me because they both came off. They had never thought about Bigfoot before. They never taken it seriously. Then, you know, they had seen this, you know, they both had these different experiences and, you know, it seemed to have shaken them a bit. Yeah, they definitely saw something. And, you know, that, it's interesting. They might not have the proof for it. And that, that's what makes it really hard is mm-hmm. one, it, there's two things that makes it very hard. One, everybody wants a million Instagram followers and they want to be the next celebrity and they, you know, they want to be on, you know, whatever reality TV show. So whenever your your story is, you have to kind of like follow the money. Like, well, what are you guys really trying to push? What are you what are you going for? So yeah. the hunt the hunter who loves to hunt, he's out there sleeping out overnight. Like he he just lost something that he likes to do, and it doesn't seem like he's doing it for a monetary reason. And this couple, you know, they saw something on the side of the road and it shook them enough. But unfortunately, they don't have the proof, and it seems like you know the science isn't there to support them or do anything. And if you take this story to the mainstream, there's a small circle that that would embrace you. And then there's you know the other circle that would just mock you. And it, it kind of makes it seem like it's better to not tell anybody, unfortunately. Yeah. And that was exactly what these people were like, you know, they never told anyone about their experiences. And then, you know, they heard about this group in Ohio. They were told, you know, to come and share what they had, you know, seen. Like, like the hunter story really struck because like like I said, he'd gone out to this secluded area. He'd taken he'd driven out there in his truck then he'd gotten onto his boat and like rode you know across the river or something this really secluded area that he hunts in a lot and then he had you know, set up his tent and you know he slept there overnight and then he woke up he heard something moving outside his tent and he lit a lantern that he had and then something like outside like screamed when the lantern went on and he was like i just he's like i just ran like i'd never heard something like that before and, you know, I've been out in the woods my whole life. And he's like, I just ran, got my boat, rode away, got my truck and drove. Uh, but he came off as like, he came off like really nervous, really sincere. You know, he'd even like drawn a map to where he had had a sighting. But yeah, it was, it was like I said, it was like, you know, they were, they had never told anyone. Then they heard about this group and they, you know, it was a safe place to share. And they, they weren't interested in like attention or, you know, being famous or anything like that. They just kind of wanted someone to hear, hear their, you know, their story. Since we're getting weird, let's get weird. Do you have any thoughts on how Earth or, you know, if Bigfoot is interdimensional at all, or they're just doesn't exist, or they would just be a regular ape hybrid type of thing that nobody has caught? I, you know, Hollow Earth, I, I, I wouldn't say I don't have that much knowledge. I've heard, you know, vague, you know, Hollow Earth conspiracy theories. So I'm not really knowledgeable in that, but I, I don't think I believe that one. But uh, I love the Bigfoot is an interdimensional being theory. I, I don't believe it, but it's super fun. Like, I love listening to those. And I've heard a bunch of different versions of it, that Bigfoot's an interdimensional being or that all cryptids are interdimensional beings that, like, come in and out of our, you know, our world. I've heard versions of it where, you know, they're all sort of thought forms that feed off of, like, belief. And that's why they you know, appear and disappear. But those ones are my, those are really fun to read. And they, you know, they obviously they wrap everything up in a neat bow, why we can't ever catch one or find a body or why they always seem to be out of focus. But obviously I don't, I don't believe those ones, but they're super fun to to listen to. You know, and I've heard obviously that Bigfoot, you know, some form of undiscovered ape. Then I've heard that it's, you know, some sort of offshoot of, you know, Homo sapien that's not quite human, but close enough to us. And I feel like it's probably the ape or the, uh, you know, undiscovered species of, of human. If it is real, it's probably one of those two. I guess we'll never know until somebody drags a body out. Yeah. I used to spend a lot of time like on Bigfoot websites and, and forums. Uh, and that's the big debate in the Bigfoot community is to like, if you, you know, come across one of the woods and you have a gun, like, do you kill it or do you let it go? And, you know, it's like the pro kill, don't kill. Because, you know, some people say, 
it's endangered, so you shouldn't kill it. And other people are saying that's the only way to prove Bigfoot's real is to kill one and bring back a body. And, you know, it, it is a tough debate, but like, I think at the end of the day, if it is real, the only way to prove it is to, you know, bring back a dead body. Take the shot, take them out. You have to do it. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> <for Fran. laughs> as a, you know, it, it has to be tough though, because there's even the stories with Bigfoot. This wasn't supposed to be a whole Bigfoot podcast, but yet here we are and, and I'm all in yeah. for it. There's a, you know, the people who said they've seen Bigfoot, that the eyes are more human than they are animal. So the hunters, even when they've had a gun on them, if they had it in the sights that, you know, they said, as they're looking at it, it's almost like looking at a human's eyes, which makes it hard for them. And, and hence why, you know, there has not been a dead Bigfoot that brought, brought in. Yeah, and I've heard that too. Like the hunters that have seen one and went to shoot it, then yeah, yeah, exactly. They saw the eyes. The eyes look so human they couldn't do it. A big advocate for Bigfoot, and a big Bigfoot believer is Grover Krantz, who was he was like a well-respected. I think he was an anthropologist, but he uh, he got really into Bigfoot towards the end of his life. And uh, anytime he was walking in the woods, he carried a gun with him in case he saw one because he wanted to shoot it to to prove. And then, you know, there have been stories of people who have shot Bigfoots and, you know, they couldn't, then they went back and couldn't find the body or the Bigfoot, you know, disappeared into woods and all that. You know, conveniently, they couldn't find the body after shooting one. It's so convenient for them right there. Yeah. Let's swing back to movies for a second. So you, you've been working on movies for a long time behind the, the film, you know, behind the camera. So when I'm watching a horror movie, you know, like I know it's not real. I know Michael Myers isn't real, but there are some of them that like they're scary as shit. And mm-hmm. it's not like, you know, Killer Clowns is a funny one. You watch that. You're not really scared of it. First time Candyman came out in the 90s, I had to watch that movie standing in the middle of my bedroom in daylight with the the blinds up. And I was like, all right, okay, Candyman's not yeah. going to get me. Do you lose any of that that mystique, any of that mystery since you are, you've been behind the camera, you've seen all of this, that when you're watching on TV, you're, you're almost watching it as like an ex-athlete of you're not watching the fun of the game. You're dissecting like, oh, this guy's like two steps out of position and he should be over here to make the right play. Not really. I I can, especially if it's something I'm watching for the first time, I can turn that off. If it's a film I'm experiencing for the first time, I'm usually just letting myself be caught up in the moment and experience, you know, the story, the emotions with those films. When I watch it, when I, if I'm watching a film that I've seen before, if I'm watching something a second time, then I kind of start to think about that. Like, you know, how did they shoot this? What sort of gave them this idea? The kind of stuff like that, you know, and typically, if it, especially if it's something I really like, like I'll start reading stuff behind like the creative process or like how they did a certain thing and stuff like that. But if I'm, if it's the first time filmed I'm watching, if I'm really engaged, I'm not thinking that on the flip side of that, if it's, if it's something that hasn't pulled me in, if I'm not really engaged, then my mind kind of starts deconstructing it being like, Oh, I wonder how many takes this was, or why did that actor make that certain choice? You know, stuff like that kind of starts to seep into my brain. But from a writing perspective, I am sort of always kind of analyzing the script when I'm watching a film, though, where there's a certain format that most films follow. So in my brain, so when I'm watching a movie, I'm like, oh, okay, this is the end of the first act. This is a midpoint. This is the third act. You know, I kind of do stuff like that, where I try to, you know, kind of figure out like how it's going to end. And it does in a way, sort of ruined some movies because I've seen a movie that came out recently, uh, the Dungeons and Dragons movie, which I really enjoyed. I loved it, but I sort of had kind of figured out every plot point before it got to it because after you work on movies and you write movies, but after you watch so many movies, you kind of just kind of see where, you know, things are going. What inspires you as you're writing for your horror? Uh, are you going to know. like folklore? Are you are you looking in you know just old books? Are you are you reading just other things and you know maybe it just makes a connection in your mind and starts wandering somewhere else to try to draw this in? 
It's usually a couple different things. It really depends. The Jersey Devil thing that I wrote, I had tried writing like a monster movie. So I'd watched the first Alien by Ridley Scott. I used that as inspiration. And I'd written a bunch of bunch of drafts of the script, sort of with that in mind. And it wasn't quite clicking. And then I ended up watching, I was watching at one point David Cronenberg's To Fly. That clicked in my brain where it gave me an idea. I'm like, oh, well, what if I approach this not as a monster movie, but as a body horror movie? where like someone's literally transforming into a devil and that like sort of just got the wheels turning in my head. And then it started like as images in a script started coming out and, and you know, I started writing them on like a notes in my phone. And then from there I started looking at other body horror, like evil dead. That's kind of a body horror type film, but those were sort of the ones that inspired me. Or as you brought, you just brought folk horror. I love folk horror and that's one of the scripts I'm trying to write as well right now. I've watched a couple of them to see, you know, what works, what doesn't work. Like one that really inspired me was uh, The Blood on Satan's Claw, which also inspired my Jersey Devil film a little bit too. But, you know, I'll watch these films and kind of see as far as inspiration goes, what sort of like gets my mind going and what sort of makes me think like, oh, so what if I do this in this story? And uh, so I, I try to draw from a bunch of different sources. What are your thoughts? I think it's like creepy pasta, right? Is that what the Slender Man is? Things like oh, that? Oh, yeah. Like little short mm -hmm. stories what's your thoughts on that i've read a few pretty interesting ones slender man like i don't know why like that you know he had this moment a couple years ago when he was really popular like that never well, he had really those girls that why. you know tried killing the other girl because of slender man was like oh, geez, like yeah great advertising for him like that's crazy yeah that seemed to be the peak of it yeah that was crazy and that the documentary is really interesting about it but like slender man never really clicked with me but i read a few that, that i thought as far as being short form horror stories are really interesting there's that one i don't know what it was called but it's like some dude goes into sensory deprivation to try and see god and he ends up seeing something terrifying that one i really liked a lot but yeah i always thought there there's um there's a short-lived show on sci-fi channel called channel zero i think where every season they adapted a different creepypasta. They did one called, the first year was Candle Cove, which was, you know, it's like, the story's like a paragraph long, but they had to expand it into, you know, a whole season of a TV show. But that was, that was a really interesting way of doing it. But yeah, you know, I, I always found as far as just being short form horror stories, they're all pretty interesting. Yeah, I like the idea of Slenderman. I, I don't think it's real at all. Uh, mm -hmm. But just like the looking through old photographs, you know, and even when photography was first happening, if you didn't stay still long enough for the film to fully flash or whatever it might be, and you move, there would be, you know, a shadow, a ghost shadow of of you moving because it wasn't fully yeah. developed. And, you know, going back and, and now with CGI and everything else that people can go and Photoshop and everything, you know, if you weren't there, it did even happen and it's impossible to tell with deep fakes. But it it is interesting uh, at the time, you know, 10 years ago, before any of this, you know, seeing some of the stuff on the internet of people posting pictures and and just the weird things that could be there. You know, it's just, just fun things for your mind and, and you know, fun things as as a writer or in the horror movie area to go off on. Yeah, it's, um, I read a really interesting, have you, have you heard of the, uh, the missing 411 that's sort of become a creepypasta? I know that David, David Palades, I think his name is, yeah. the, does the missing 411. Uh, yeah. So uh, he, he has this whole state parks and people go missing they'll find their clothes fully folded at the top of a, a mountain that's just like a sheer 400 foot drop the person was at the bottom of the mountain before then goes missing with a group of people they turn around a person will go missing they'll find their clothes folded at the top of this mountain it's it's really crazy stuff it is crazy it is super interesting um but at some point someone took that kind of as a, they took like that the missing 401 used it as like a springboard 
like a creepy pasta. And that was one that really pulled me in where they like did as a bunch of Reddit posts, you know, talking about because they mixed in like for, missing 411 stories with like little bits of fiction. Like, oh, yeah, sometimes you'll see like a staircase in the woods and like don't go up the staircase. Kind of, you know, created this creepy pasta around it. And that one I thought was very fascinating, very interesting. Um, and I kind of like, oh, this is super. Then I realized I was reading a creepy pasta, but it had pulled me in. So it, it did its job. Yeah. The missing 401 on its own is, it's really interesting. And, you know, I don't know how true the maps are, but they have these allegedly a map of these deep underground military bases, these dumps that are throughout the country. And a lot of them line up underneath uh, federal, federal parks, federal state park, I guess state parks, federal parks, whatever. Hmm. Uh, and they line up there. Uh, you know, you, you can't develop the land there. It's easy to shut off that area and just say it's closed. Uh, you can't trespass. You could get arrested, things like that. And these deep underground bases apparently line up with a lot of these parks. And a lot of these people who go missing are in the you know relative area of that. Something yeah, interesting. That is, that is interesting. And like all of this is sort of seems to be taking on like, you know, stories like this and like sort of this oral tradition like evolves with the internet. And I've noticed now like on TikTok, like this stuff is sort of evolving on TikTok where people are, you know, posting lots of you know, mostly embellished or false stories about, you know, creepypastas or, you know, cryptid encounters and stuff like that. But it's kind of become like its own little subculture on that site. But that's what TikTok's for is, you know, going down these weird little rabbit holes. Have you ever listened to the podcast Penny Royal? I have not. All right. Penny Royal, there's this podcast and it is, it's real life. These people live in the Kentucky area. There's just two guys down there. So this part of Kentucky is just amazing. It is the only verified, uh, like little goblins came out of the ground and then the police had to come. This is back oh, in like, the wait, 50s or I, 60s. Oh, wait, I did hear about that incident, yeah. Right, so this is all in that area right there. And it's like almost like a Bermuda Triangle of Kentucky and Tennessee and all this stuff right here. It's just weird things that happened to them. It's a really good podcast. Interesting, I'll have to look that up. That does sound bad. Because I've heard of that that goblin story before, so I'll have to, I'll have to you know give it a listen. Yeah, and there's all these tunnels in there that were used during the Civil War for hiding. You know, Confederates hid in there. Apparently, there's supposed to be some gold and things like that. Hmm. And then, well, I'm mixing up a couple podcasts all at once. Confederate <laughs> gold. You're in the Pittsburgh area. There was this huge story that was in the news. So this father-son duo found their metal detectors were pinging that there was something like two tons of gold in the ground. They had to contact FBI. They thought it was the Confederate gold which you have to get, I guess, a waiver of some sort to allow you to to dig it up and, and and keep it. And maybe you have to split a piece with the government. I'm not fully sure. So they get in contact with FBI. They agree they're going to meet, you know, let's just use Tuesday, for example. They're going to meet Tuesday at 8 a.m. So the weekend before, all the residents are saying that the area is marked off, heavy machinery is coming, going back and forth. These Brinks-like trucks are going back and forth. The father and son show up Tuesday morning. The FBI is like, oh, we, we dug and there's nothing there. Like, And the metal detector is not picking up anything anymore. So now they're suing the, the FBI. They're trying to do some FOIA request. And it's coming out a little bit, slowly dripping. I mean, their case is going in their favor, but slowly dripping as the FBI and the FOIA said, oh, we have no information to turn over. The more they're requesting, the different buzzwords, search words they're using are kicking back some documents that are showing that possibly they did find something and the FBI may have taken the gold. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. I have, I have not heard about this. This but, in your uh, backyard. This could finance movie after movie for you. You, you missed out on a golden opportunity. That's true. I did. <laughs> Literally golden opportunity. Yeah. You. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not a metal detector gold hunter. So, you know, but, uh, but yeah, I have to look up this story. I, I did not hear about this. And it's a local Pittsburgh uh, story here. 
My wife lost her wedding ring and her engagement ring last year at the beach. And it took us a couple of days to realize that the, the rings were lost. And I went to the beach with a metal detector and I found them. And these were ours. You know, I'm only finding what's ours to, yeah. to find something like that. I mean, that has to be like the thrill of a lifetime. I, I was so hyped. I found some stranger on the beach. I'm jumping up and down and high-fiving him. He was confused <laughs> as, as anything. He's like, what's happening? But, you know, I was like, hey, that's awesome though. Good you found them. <laughs> I, was, I was very excited I found them. All right, let's do some, what are the top horror movies? Who are your top slayers? What's your Mount Rushmore? Uh, so my Mount Rushmore horror films is, um, number one is The Exorcist, but William Friedkin. Favorite horror movie, one of my top five favorite movies. Number two is a Japanese film called Audition. It's the first horror movie that made me want to close my eyes and look away. It's so good, though. Sam Raimi's Evil Dead trilogy. I don't know which of them is my favorite. They're all so good, but the original trilogy Neil Marshall's uh, The Descent, it's, uh, so claustrophobic, still super effective today as it was when I first saw it. And then John Carpenter's The Thing. Yeah, that's always been one of my favorite horror films. I think I bought that movie on Blu-ray or DVD more times than I bought any other movie. Um, I could watch that endlessly. But that's, that's my Mount Rushmore. As far as slashers, you know, his movies are not great, but I, I love Jason. I, have a, I don't know why, I have a soft spot for the big guy. But I always said with Jason is like, I'd always pick the Friday the 13th, even though Halloween, John Carpenter's Halloween is one of my top 10 favorite horror films of all time. I think it's a masterpiece. Overall, as a series, I think I prefer Friday the 13th because like they're all pretty steady. They're not great movies, but, you know, they're fun and they all are kind of the same quality. As far as when you go to Michael Myers, it's sort of up and down. You know, you have you know John Carpenter's first Halloween, which is a masterpiece. You got Halloween 2 is kind of mediocre. Halloween 3, which I like. And then you just have a sudden dip in quality up until 2018. So I, I'll, I'll always pick the Friday the 13th franchise because like for the most part, they're all pretty even quality. So I guess I'll say Jason and Michael Myers, two favorite slashers, um, Freddy Krueger as well. You know, Wes Craven's one of my favorite filmmakers. And I love the first Nightmare on Elm Street. So I'd probably say those, top, those are top three slashers for me. I know Hollywood doesn't do anything original anymore. And if you're not an X-Men or a Marvel superhero, Captain America, your movie's not getting made. But they reboot everything. And, and I haven't seen the, the latest Halloweens. And you said they kind of forgot about the other sequels and build off. Why aren't they ever rebooting those from, from minute one? Well, how come we're not getting a brand new Jason as him as a, a child drowning in the lake and, and going from that? Why is it always uh, the Jason 15 and now he's, in, he's on Mars? They might be actually be doing that with Jason. Uh, there's a, a TV show coming called Crystal Lake, um, which is supposed to be a prequel. It seems to be about young Jason and his mother. I'm not sure what there is to mind there, but I'm I'm gonna watch it because I I love uh, I love Friday the Thirteenth. So yeah, to answer your question, there is something coming. You ask and you shall receive. Yeah. Do you consider Jaws a horror movie? I do. Yeah, Jaws. As far as you know, that definitely influenced me as a filmmaker. You know, back. As a kid, you know, as a kid, I was pretty scared of horror films, but Jaws was a pretty safe horror film that you could watch as a kid. And that definitely influenced me, you know, being young, knowing I wanted to make movies. Like, I obsessed over Jaws, and Jaws is still fucking amazing. Like, Spielberg's, he's the goat, in my opinion. Like, Spielberg, still making great movies to this day. But yeah, Jaws is also one of my favorite horror films. I just find the shark movies, you know, you're probably not going to find yourself in a dilapidated house with, you know, a ghost living in there and a, a candy man coming out of the mirror. Maybe you do. I, you know, I don't see that possibility really being there. But the shark attack, you know, that could happen to anybody near a body of what, you know, near the, near the ocean. People go on vacation, they go on boats all the time. Boats sink, shark attack. It's just a fear, a horror movie fear that I think is the closest possibility of happening. Yeah. 
And I think that's why Jaws is so effective is like, you know, it feels like something that could happen, but also there's like, you know, that's sort of that innocence of summer, like having fun at the beach and being carefree and the ocean itself is terrifying. And, you know, there's this thing in the water that, you know, can easily take that fun and innocence away from us, you know, in the blink of an eye. You know, it's a very primal fear and Jaws tapped into that super well. Netflix had it uh, a month or two ago. I watched it. I, I think it was the 47 meters and then the sequel to that. And that's a shark and people are on a boat and it gets a hole in it. And the, the one guy wants to stay on the boat and everyone else is like, oh, we can swim the 10 miles. I have not been that uncomfortable in my skin in so long. The anxiety was producing in me, the shifting in my chair as I was watching it. Like, just guys, don't get in the water. Like, please don't. And then once the shark fin was was up and slowly picking them off one by one. And it's not even, it, I guess it's just the real possibility. You know, it, it's the... You could see yourself in that situation and there's nothing you can do. Like there's no, you can't get out of the water. You can't, there's nowhere to hide it. Oh, it was terrible. It was not terrifying. It, it was just anxiety producing. Hmm. Good movie. So watch them. I've heard they're good. Yeah. As a filmmaker or something, it's probably gonna be ridiculous, but just as I sitting there watching and like, I'm just pouring sweat <laughs> watching. Like, oh my God, like, please, why doesn't somebody do something? Like there's nothing you can do. It, it's tough. It's like aliens. They're stuck on that planet on the, on the base. And the guys like, oh, let's go up and nuke it. And by the, you know, they're still debating back and forth and getting picked off one by one. There's nowhere to go. Yeah. Yeah. It's the isolation of space versus the isolation of the ocean. That's uh, that definitely plays into that fear. But you were saying, what's next on your agenda? What's on the horizon? So I just uh, produced uh, another short horror film in, shot in January. I, I was just a producer on it, um, a local actor you know he was looking to make his own film and he sent me a script he wanted to get my thoughts on it and it was so good like i was gonna be like are you gonna direct this because if not i will but he wanted to direct it too so i produced i helped him put the crew together and get everything sorted out on that and it was probably the smoothest film shoot i've ever been on so we just finished that we're in editing right now i just watched a cut of it and it's looking really good and once that's ready we're gonna start sending that around to festivals we had a really successful crowdfunding campaign for it, which I still can't believe. So we got some money set aside to submit that to festivals. And then, yeah, I'm still Black Pines, my Jersey Devil movie. I'm still searching for funding for that to make the full length version. And then, yeah, I mean, who knows? You know, I've, um, I'm, you know, teaching, still teaching my film class here in Pittsburgh and sort of weighing my options for the future right now as to what I want to do. The movie that you produced, is that a full length feature fee? It's um, it's a short. Noah, the writer director, he just told me that he see he could see it being a feature. He has an idea of how to turn it to a feature. I didn't know that when I read the script. Um, it was like seven pages, and I thought, as far as being a short horror film, it was incredibly effective. And it, you know, it's very simple story, which you know, all the best horror films are you know pretty simple. But yeah, maybe that could turn into a full length film. But you know, we'll we'll see how it goes. We're gonna. Like I said, once it's once it's done, we're gonna submit to some film festivals and see where it goes from there. You know, we're uh, we're kind of laid back with this, which I think is you know approach to take to it, where you know we're just like, oh, you know, we'll do a crowdfunding campaign. If that doesn't work, then we'll figure something out. And you know, the crowdfunding worked, and now we're like, well, you know, we'll, we'll edit it and then see what else uh, comes from it. And then oh oh, and then I have another short film that I wrote two years ago for another local filmmaker. He just finished shooting it a couple weeks ago. So hopefully that will be out this year, next year. Um, I'm very excited for that one. I'm sorry, and that's a short as well? That's a short as well. Um, okay. A local filmmaker, he had come, it's a horror idea, but he had come up with this idea and he reached out to me and he was like, hey, do you want to write this? You know, he's like, I, I don't know if it'd be your thing, but he pitched me his idea and I, I loved it. Um, I'm like, yeah, hell yeah, man, I'll, I'll write this short for you. So um, 
The script was called Post-its. I think he changed the title. The title's now Gentle Reminders. It's just rap shooting, so hopefully this year, next year, um, it'll be out into the world. But I, I was very proud of that script. I'm very, I was very excited to see what he did with it. So we'll see. When you filmed Black Pines, how long was that filming process? It was meant to be a weekend, um, but the first day, as I said, you know, I said a little bit, you know, we we're filming in 17 degree weather, but there was also extreme winds, uh, so it kept blowing our equipment around. Um, it was wreaking havoc for sound. And then our actress started going into hypothermia. So we uh we called it, stopped shooting that day. And we came back the next day, which was an interior shoot, and we shot all the interior stuff. And then we eventually got like a skeleton crew and went on to the woods, uh, think the following week they have much better weather and we shot the the wood stuff so you know it took about three days you know we'll say about you know two and a half days because of weather but we'd originally scheduled a two-day shoot for that how difficult did you find i mean obviously that the cold was a problem but the sunlight in the winter i mean in an hour or two that's changing shadows dramatically right yeah that was big problem too because we originally were hoping for an overcast day so we wouldn't have to deal with that but also just for mood too and you know we were having fog and haze everywhere so when we first on day one we first got to the woods you know it was freezing but it was overcast so we're like oh this is perfect and then you know everything went wrong that day you know our makeup day unfortunately it was a sunny day uh so yeah there's lots of running around and you're having to compensate for you know one shot being cloudy and another shot being sunny. It was a big pain. A lot of times in Pittsburgh, a lot of this indie stuff is shot in winter because a lot of people who work crew, a lot of the big productions, those don't shoot in the winter because nobody wants to film in the cold. And those are shooting in spring and summer, or, you know, fall. So a lot of the passion projects or, you know, indie films are are shooting in the winter because like that's when everyone has time and is able to get everyone together to do that. So because the story of Black Pines, my the script that I wrote, it actually takes place in the spring. But the only time we could get crew and get everyone together was, you know, February. So that's why we were shooting shooting in February in Pittsburgh. What's the biggest production you've worked on? My first production I've ever worked on was The Dark Knight Rises. You know, I'm a big Batman fan. I found out that I was shooting in Pittsburgh and I was like, hell or high water, I'm getting on that fucking movie. You and I, we met work at the casino. It was supposed to be my first day at the casino. And I got a call to work on Batman. So I called the casino. I was like, hey, guys, can I start another day? And they're like, yeah, but if you do this again, you know, we're rescinding the job offer. And I was like, yeah, that's fair. That's understandable. But uh, but yeah, I worked on the scene where they blew up the football field. Uh, I was a PA on that. It's exhausting. It was like a 16-hour day, like 90-degree weather, hundreds of extras. But it was so worth it. Like, I, I, I loved doing it. And I got to say I worked on Batman. But that was probably the biggest thing I've been on. I've also worked on a couple Amazon shows, a couple Netflix shows, the League of Their Own Amazon show. I worked on that last year. But I think, yeah, as far as big budget stuff, Dark Knight Rises is probably the biggest thing I've been on. That's awesome. Great movie. Yeah, I was very proud to have been part of that. You know, it's uh, yeah, I got like a tattoo from it, too. Like I had to commemorate that I was on that one. Oh, Definitely. The film festival circuit you're going to submit to. What's that like? I'm about to find out because I've never really gotten involved with that. You know, we're just going to look at a couple, probably, you know, short film festivals or horror film festivals. I think once the film is ready, we're going to start researching those. But I'm I'm sort of new to all that. I, I went to my first film festival last year, one of the short horror films my friend uh, Alex and I worked on. It won a festival here in Pittsburgh and went on to a national one in Washington. So that was that was a great experience, but you know that was my first time being at one. But uh, you're basically you know kind of a website that shows you all the uh, festivals and what you can submit to, and 
there's usually a fee. It gets pretty pricey. So um, we're probably going to research a couple of festivals and see what's in our budget and see what the criteria is and then um, submit it and hope for the best. I wrote a middle school book about a fourth grade spy. And there was this indie book festival and you know it was a couple hundred bucks to submit or whatever. You know, I was, I was hoping I would win. I was like, you know, I'm proud of the book. And I submitted it and I don't know how many people were in there and they list the top three. And for fiction, I lost to Kobe Bryant. So I was like, you know, I like to think that I came in fourth. I, you know, if he didn't submit, I would have had it. There's no receipts for that. So don't worry, people. But I, to me, I sleep good at night thinking I came in fourth. Oh, that's, yeah, you know, that's, <laughs> you know. And plus you're, you're putting yourself out there too, you know? Um, so for festivals, I'm new, but like I've submitted to a couple screenwriting contests in Black Pines, the Jersey Devil script that placed, it was a quarter finalist in one screenwriting competition and it was a semi-finalist in another. So that definitely gave me like the confidence boost in that to be like, oh, you know, I'm going to try to make this now. So I know a little bit more about that because, you know, screenwriting festivals, they look good on your resume. So it's good to have that, but I'm uh, about to get a crash course in uh, submitting to film festivals here. Probably in the next few months. Once look, that's the short film. Once that's all ready. Now, once you you packaged your baby at the Black Pines and you sent it out, was it anxiety producing for you? You know, was that like the whole world's going to see your thoughts or you know whoever you're sending it to? And you know, you make your short film and that's out, and people are watching it. It's near and dear to you. You, you put your blood, sweat, and tears into that, and for people to look at it and judge it one way or the other, how were you able to handle that? It wasn't as anxiety inducing as I thought it was in 2020 when I was like getting it ready and I was sending it to friends to to read, you know, a lot of them seemed to respond, you know, really positively to it. So that kind of gave me like the, oh, okay, you know, I'm not crazy. This is clearly resonating with people. And then, you know, I kind of submitted it to screenwriting competitions and it was sort of like, well, you know, I don't want to get my hopes up, but at least I got it out there. And then seeing that I work at a haunted house here in Pittsburgh around Halloween, and I was like checking my phone and I got the email that I was like quarterfine list of one. And I like almost sobbed. Like I couldn't believe that I'd made it that far. And then after that, uh, you know, my friend was like, oh yeah, you know, let's, uh, let's produce it. And I think most of the anxiety was just getting it made and like, you know, the day before filming being like, you know, am I, am I a good filmmaker? Like, am I going to fuck this up? How's it going to be, you know? All those sort of doubts. Then once it was finished, you know, I, I was very proud of it, you know, the short that we shot. And I was just kind of like, I just wanted to get it out there. I didn't really care what people thought, you know, I was, I just wanted them to see it. At that point, you know, you like carry the baby, you're like, just get it out. Like, I don't care. Like, it's it's fine. Like, the world can just have it. Yeah, exactly. And I've always said that with Black Pines. Like, you know, I'm hoping, I'm hoping to get it produced, but like, if a studio is going to offer me money to take it away from me and, you know, get someone else to do it, I'd be like, yeah, all right. You know, like if you're going to give me a fuck ton of money to, you know, walk away, I'll do that. But, but yeah, like I think at that point, it was like you said, like I'd gotten it that far and I just kind of wanted to get it out into the world. And I'm like, you know, if they don't like it, that's on them. You know, like I spent, uh, like you said, blood, sweat, and tears on it. So have at it. I think it helps the, and, and you can say if I'm wrong, I think it, it could have helped that you had your circle of people that you trusted, that you were bouncing these ideas off of. And they were like, no, no, that's good. Like you should run with that. Like you already had the affirmation that you were on the right path. And now if the, you know, and studios, like who knows what they're going to pick up or produce. You see the junk that ends up on TV anyway. You know, half of it isn't even original. You know, for them not taking it, it's almost a badge of honor at this point. I Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess, like you said, you know, the people that I sent it to, you know, giving me the the feedback definitely gave me like the, okay, I think, you know, this is something, this isn't just me being crazy. But then, you know, placing in those contests, uh, that, that was definitely more of that like affirmation of like, oh, okay, you know, so, so yeah, this is something, this could be, 
this could be something really interesting. But yeah, and then, you know, once I saw the footage we had shot, we did our best given, you know, the weather and circumstances, but I was really, I was really happy with what we got. To an extent, like every filmmaker, I think, has that where they're in editing and they're like, oh, I wish I would have shot from this angle or I wish I would have got this shot, you know. So there was a lot of that, but the way it came together, I, you know, I was very happy with, and, you know, everyone that was involved seems to be pretty proud of the film. That's awesome. I watched what you posted on Facebook. I thought it was really good. It was creative. It was, it was new. The the lead, she looked scared as she was doing it. I thought she was a very good actress. You know, I don't have the chops to determine does she have the, the De Niro aspect or whatever it might be, but I thought she did a great, very believable. Yeah. She's uh, just as great. She's a very good friend. She's a local actress here in Pittsburgh. And when I wrote the character, I envisioned the characters very differently. Um, but then I had seen Jess acts in a lot of local films and she acted in a, a slasher film called Massacre Academy, which I think because of some sort of rights issue, that's not hasn't been released yet. But she she super she impressed me for her performance in that. She was great. And I pretty much like offered her, you know, I was like, hey, I, I think about making this indie monster movie. You know, do you do you want to be in it? I didn't even like have her audition right because like of how impressed I was with her performance she gave in Massacre Academy. Just had a premiere this past weekend. I was just there for another horror film she's in called Wolf Hollow by the same filmmaker, Mark Cantu, who made Massacre Academy. And looks like Wolf Hollow is going to get distribution. And she's in that too, playing a very different character. And she's great. But there's lots of great local talent in Wolf Hollow. It's a really good, uh, it's a, it's a really good um, you know, showcase of a lot of local indie film talent here. And hopefully, you know, they all go on to, to bigger and better things. Because there's a lot of talent here in Pittsburgh and a lot of people here are very hungry. But, you know, it's not it's not L.A., so we all got to work, you know, a little bit harder to get there. But, yeah, she's wonderful. And it's pretty much like a one person show for her. You know, there's, you know, the guy in the monster suit and then there's uh, David as the sheriff at the end. But she really carries it all on her on her shoulders and that. Where can people go to? We'll get to your film in a second. But these indie films, these films that Jess are in, what's the best way to stay up to date on that or to view them? It's really tough because um, a lot of them you do kind of have to be in like a circle or something like, you know, whereas like Massacre Academy, I was friends with Jess, but I was also writing you know, reviews for a website that did nothing but review indie horror films. So, so you know, I offered to write a review of the film. The director sent me, you know, he sent me a copy of it, but that's sort of, from what I understand, there's some sort of rights issue going on with that. That's why that hasn't been distributed. But, you know, Wolf Hollow just had its premiere. I think that's seeking distribution right now. But so we'll see what happens with that. But a lot of the a lot of the indie films, you know, they shoot and they might go, you know, they might go and play at a few festivals You know, a lot of times. And then if they can't get distribution, they just are put up on YouTube or something or you know, some people, you know, put it on, up on iTunes or out to rent. So you got to do some digging. But a lot of times they're shot and, you know, go to festivals or people are using them to try to raise money or, you know, they're trying to find a distributor and they can't. It's, uh, it's a whole, there's a whole business end of it. I'm getting a crash course in now, now having a film that I want to get funded. But, you know, it's, it is sort of hard because, you know, there's lots of hoops the filmmakers have to jump through to get their indie films out there and lots of gatekeepers too that you have to get through and, and it gets expensive. Where can people go to view Black Pines, the the trailer that I saw? Where's that available? That is on YouTube. Uh, if you just look up Black Pines movie, it's on YouTube. We are sitting at right now 1,400 views, roughly, which I'm very happy with. You know, obviously, I love to spread the word. But uh, but yeah, they can go on YouTube and just search up Black Pines movie. And I think that's the first thing that comes up. All the Amazon and Netflix execs that are listening to this now, what's the best way for them to contact you? You can probably find me on Twitter at James Reinhardt or Instagram at James Thomas Reinhardt. 
reach out there or uh you know i think black pines is on the indie ground films youtube page that's uh my friend alex at his production company probably reach out to them too and talk to us about that and then just to wrap up what's your advice to somebody trying to break into the industry you know if um, in the pittsburgh area and you know not in la not in new york what's the best way to go about this it's really about who you know. Um, a lot of the stuff I've got, the projects I've worked on were made through connections. And even you know, getting Black Pines off the ground, shooting this film, it was all with people I'd known and had established relationships with. So networking is big, but also, you know, don't just be an empty networker. Just don't network for networking. Like, you know, make relationships, you know, be a nice person. Obviously be a good worker and have people who want to work with you and have people who believe in your story. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's a challenging business, but, you know, I don't know how to do anything else. But I'd also say, you know, there's definitely creative aspect. But, you know, as like I said, as I'm finding out, there's a business aspect to it that I'm getting a crash course in. So know the business side of it as well as the creative side, because, you know, those things sort of exist in tandem in this business. But yeah, I guess my advice would be a good person and be a hard worker and find people that you want to work with and want to work with you and, you know, help each other out. Be nice and bring something to the table. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> What do you have the plug? What can we help you with? Let's say uh, my former co-host at Cinema De More, they're still going strong. So go listen to them. Um, I'm on a few older episodes and Black Pines on YouTube. Go uh, go check that out and follow me on social media at James Reinhardt on Twitter and James Thomas Reinhardt on, on Instagram. I'm on TikTok now. I do little movie reviews. So I think I'm James Reinhardt on TikTok as well. But yeah, that's about it. Awesome. And then on the YouTube, on the Black Pines, they can leave comments after they watch they can- it? Yeah, they can leave comments, and that's on uh, Indie Ground's YouTube page. Indie Ground Films is my friend Alex's production company, so he has a couple of his short films on there as well. So check out his stuff, or you know, like and subscribe. But yeah, absolutely, leave comments or you know, give us a thumbs up and all that. You know, every little bit helps. All right, everybody, go out there, check out James's film Black Pines, leave a comment, tell him you heard him on Wild and Weird, you enjoyed the show, James. I really appreciate it. When you come back out to Jersey, we're gonna go squatching, man. We're gonna find him. We're I love bring it. Bring them back. Let's do it, right? I'm I'm down. I'm totally down. <laughs> I truly appreciate it. You have a great night. Thank you. You too. Thank you. All right, everyone. That was our show. Don't forget to leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcast. Like and follow the podcast on Facebook and Instagram to stay up to date in all things wild and weird. Check out the links in the show notes for more information on our guests. The biggest support you can offer is to tell everyone about the podcast. Until next time. 